um, before the message. One is uh, the cornhole tournament next week. You can support, as Nate said, just by eating um, the hot dogs and hamburgers and supporting that way. So anyway, that'd be a great thing. Encourage you to do that. Also, um, oftentimes I like to celebrate uh, things going on in our community because I'm proud to be a pastor in this community. I'm very proud when our people in our church are heavily involved in being for our community and make a difference in our community and the celebrations that take place. And I know I talk sports a lot and uh, share some of those highlights and achievements. There was more of those things that went on this weekend. But I wanted to highlight today uh, the Bueller uh, Marching Band who went to uh, Shawnee Mission in Kansas City and took first place against schools that are twice their size. Uh, Little Bueller, Kansas did that. And so we want to congratulate them. I think that's fantastic. Um, you know, excited that, you know, like Daryl Castle is a member of our church who also is the band director at Hutch High. Those things are just a thrill for me and a blessing. So when you're doing things in our community, and so many of you are, every one of you are in some way, shape, or form, Man, those are things that just make me proud, and I'm excited to be a part of what you are doing in this community. Thank you for being for our community. I also uh, thank you for being a great church and the way that uh, this last couple weekends, as we've had a lot going on, um, this weekend I've said is two weddings, and I mean two funerals and a wedding, which is not a movie title. I mean, that really happened, and uh, just a lot of people that make that happen, and um, I uh, appreciate our team. On this Pastor Appreciation Month, uh, I want to give a special uh, shout out to our pastors, and not just our pastors, but our team. So you came in here this morning and everything's set up. It didn't just look this way yesterday or, or Friday, did it? Um, Bowens. Um, we celebrated uh, a wonderful life of Shirley Bowen Friday afternoon at one, and the seating arrangement was completely different than what you see now. And uh, then we had um, funeral Saturday yesterday, and uh, really, uh, People not part of our church, but our community is able to show that we're for them. And I just was appreciative of our pastoral team that um, uh, stepped up in extra ways. I love all of them and thankful for them. I see Dr. Glover out there. I'm thankful that he does things that I cannot do and don't do well at. Uh, don't come to me for counseling. I'll make it worse, not better. Um, go see Dr. Glover for those things. See, God's gifted him in those ways. But I'm thankful for those that uh, as well yesterday just went above them, that go above and beyond without any fanfare and they do it not because they have to, but what I told our team this morning, I was so glad to see them do things this weekend with a big smile on their face, happy to serve. And um, so I give a shout out to the great team I get to work with. Pastor Dustin does things with the behind the scenes, with the videos and things for the, for the funerals and stuff. And then um, Pastor Aaron yesterday was upstairs, uh, you know, making sure everything was good online. Uh, no one saw him, but that's what he was doing, making sure they had a good presentation for the, to watch the funeral on, online. Uh, Pastor Brandon was down here doing it so we could do it on-site. Uh, Pastor Aunt Christie came just to help and serve wherever they could, and someone asked for a cup of coffee, and uh, they said, yeah, that'd be, we'd love to do that. They weren't planning on doing that, but that turned one cup of coffee turned into 100 cups of coffee uh, yesterday at the service. So it was just, it's good to be able to serve, and I think... Uh, it's a wonderful, we feel the best, and I think they felt good yesterday uh, to be able to serve, and I'm thankful for them. So I wanted to give that shout out today, and um, as I thought about that, you know, heartbreaking funeral yesterday, and I'm sure the family was thinking probably a question that as we deal with tension, there's a subject matter we're on in these few Sundays, um, I'm sure that this would resonate with them, the question I'm asking you, have you ever been there? 
Have you ever been there? Have you ever been there where you couldn't sleep? You tossed and you turned. Uh, you know, you'd received maybe the diagnosis. You received the bad news. Um, you, you, you tossed and you turned because maybe there was a conflict in your marriage that week or that day or an estranged uh, relationship with an adult child or grandkids or whatever that may be. And you just, have, have you been there? You, you stew and you turn and you can't sleep and, and, and uh, you find yourself uh, wishing that you could just uh, take something that would put you to sleep and you could forget about it, but you lay there wandering in bed, and we all have had those nights, and you wake up in the morning, and you're not refreshed because you're thinking about you're thinking about those things. Maybe some of you want to welcome those who are online today. I always sometimes forget that, but one we uh, are so thankful that you join us. But maybe someone that's online today, or someone in this room, you're you've stood at night wondering this question: Is there someone out there for me? You know, is there a husband or is there a wife in my future? Does, does God have a plan for, for, for my life in, the, in these ways? And we can have a lot of different things that leave us wondering, you know, and struggling and wrestling. And this is really a message about the things that we wrestle and we struggle with. And I may not have listed things that you're wrestling or struggling with. And you may not be struggling or wrestling with something today. You may be. But I have a feeling that there's quite a few of us that walk into this room we're wrestling or we're struggling with someone or something. Maybe struggling with a relationship with someone at work or uh, someone at church. Maybe a pastor. Maybe a pastor is a reason for your sleepless nights right now. But whatever the case, there's things that we all wrestle and we struggle with. And maybe a last one I'll share is, um, have you ever struggled with uh, how God seemingly isn't fair? How sometimes it seems like he's you know, blessing and being very merciful and gracious to someone that you're going, why are they getting this blessing? Why are they receiving this, this grace from him? And today is really a, a story that we're going to find that that's the story of Jacob. And if you want to join me in Genesis chapter th 32 in just a moment, we're going to go there. And if you don't have your Bibles, you can also follow along behind. But we're asking this question today, is it possible to wrestle with God and win? Is it possible to wrestle with God and win? And I would say the short answer is this, before we unpack this, the short answer is not only is it possible to wrestle with God and win, it's necessary. It's necessary that we have a struggle and a wrestle lean with God. I'm going to unpack what I mean by that, but the person to highlight this the best, I believe, in the Scriptures is Jacob. Now, many of us have heard a lot about Jacob. If you grew up in the church, you grew up hearing the stories about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And even if you didn't grow up in the church, you've heard about uh, the, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Pretty good company. I mean, these three guys, father, son, grand, I mean, uh, grandfather, father, son, these three guys, I mean, they're in pretty good company. They're, they're known as God's, I mean, God associates with them that the God of Father, the, the Father of the God, excuse me, I'm struggling. We're going to start over. The God and Father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Pretty good company. Sounds pretty good on the outside looking in. But if Jacob was a part of your family, if he was a coworker, a classmate, a teammate, a neighbor, you wouldn't have liked Jacob. Jacob wouldn't have been on your Christmas list. He would have been on your naughty list. 
Jacob would not have been someone that you would have been endeared to or like. In fact, you probably would have despised Jacob. You probably would have hated Jacob. Yes, Jacob was God's chosen as he chooses each of us for his different purposes, but he had a special plan and a purpose for Jacob like he has a special plan and purpose for you and me. But Jacob wanted to use that plan to benefit himself. And he got ahead of God, and instead of waiting for the promise and God's divine plan that he had set up for him, he used it as a tool for, of manipulation. He, he was using it for his selfish gain and for himself, and so much so that he got ahead of God. And the promises that he had, he, 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 he was a schemer, a conniver, and he took advantage of his older brother when his older brother was at his weakest Instead of coming alongside and being a good brother and helping him and picking him up off the floor, he took advantage of him while he was down on the mat when he was at his worst and he stole his birthright. He stole his uh, blessing as the firstborn child. Jacob's not this guy that any of us would have liked, any of you would have liked. And yet, if you want a picture or you're, you want a poster child of a picture of a person who you go, why is God so merciful and gracious to those who don't deserve grace and mercy? Jacob's one of your poster childs. He didn't deserve it. God had chosen him. Had a, he was the big part of the plan of God's plan, and yet Jacob was going to use it for self and selfish gain, uh, doing, un, doing wrong to his brother, walking over anyone that got in his way for him to receive what he thought was best for him. Fast forward 20 years later, because all of his uh, conniving, scheming, uh, what he did to his brother Esau caught up with him. And so uh, Esau wanted his life, wanted to kill his brother, because that's how bad a brother he was to him, and that's how uh, he saw him. And so Jacob fleed. He ran. And he was on the run for 20 years. And despite being on the run for 20 years, despite doing it because he was selfish, despite getting ahead of God instead of waiting on God for God's plan and waiting on God's best and trying to take the reins himself and doing it for his own selfish interest and his best, God still blessed him. And in those 20 years, we're going to see the story of Jacob today. Jacob was afraid. He'd, he'd, the past had caught up with him. His selfishness had caught up with him. And so he did the best thing that he could do. He actually starts to make a wise decisions. And the first wise decision he made is he decides to humble himself. To humble himself before God and to humble himself before his brother. Best decision that any of us can make. I love the scripture that says God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And pride is the fall of any and all of us. Pride gets in the way. It, 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 pride focuses on what everyone else is doing wrong and what our wife is doing wrong, what our husband's doing wrong, how our children are doing wrong, what's wrong with our world and what's wrong with everyone else. And pride keeps us from focusing on what God says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Don't worry about everyone else's. You got enough that you need to take care of. And, and Jacob comes to a place, he makes a great and wise decision. And he says, I need to, um, you know, I realize God has uh, given me a promise. He's blessed me. But he's at an impasse. He's at a crossroads. And the crossroad is this. He is not going to reach God's divine plan for him. He's not going to reach the promised land that God had in store for him unless he had a change of heart. 
It's actually something we call repentance. That is laying down our pride. That's humbling ourselves and saying, God, I need your help. God, I've messed this up. And it's a wonderful thing when we humble ourselves because the barn doors of grace come wide open with God. God wants to give you grace. God wants to unleash his grace and mercy in your life. He wants to unleash his forgiveness in your life. But it has to be entered through the door of repentance. We have to repent and say, God, I messed this up. I'm wrong. I'm sorry. I've broken relationship with you. I've broken relationship with others. I've hurt others. Jacob had hurt his brother. God, I need you. And he humbles himself. And we're going to see this in Genesis chapter 2, Genesis 32, starting in verse 9, if you'll join me there today. This is actually a very special passage to Heather and I, our family. Uh, this is actually a passage I preached on once here before. Uh, you probably don't remember it. Many of you weren't here. It was my very first Sunday, June 14th, 2015. And I'm not going to preach it from the, 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 the direction that I preached then. It's a totally different direction today. But this is a special passage to us because this verse itself was the verse I felt like God spoke to our hearts and confirmed a few months later that we're to go back to our home, back to Kansas, to our relatives, and that God would treat us kindly. Then Jacob prayed. This is 20 years of a broken, estranged relationship with his brother. God blessing him despite that estrangement, despite him. And God still blesses us in so many ways despite our stupidity and our selfishness. But Jacob prayed, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, reminding God of who he is and where his place is. Lord, you who said to me, go back to your country and to your relatives and I will make you prosper. I am unworthy, Jacob says, of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant. I had only my staff when I crossed the Jordan, but now I've become two camps. When he left his family 20 years prior, he had nothing. He had a staff. That was it. Um, Well, I won't get off track. Heather said, don't get off track today. So I'm not going to get off track. I'll share a story further later. And I shouldn't call out my wife. I should learn that lesson by now. But I haven't learned it. We still do do stupid and dumb stuff, no matter how old we get. Um, Let me start back here, and we'll start over. Rewind. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid he will come and attack me, and also the mothers with him. So he, he had prospered in those 20 years. Despite the estranged relationship, despite his selfishness, God blessed him. But you have said, I will surely make you prosper, and I will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. He's reminding God again of his promise. And there's five things from these few verses I want to share with us today that I think God wants to do the same thing in our life. First, Jacob's response in humbleness to God is he says that um, he reminds God of his promise. We sang the song today, promise keeper, miracle maker. And that is who you are. That is who you are. And I know some people say, well, we sing that, you know, over. Some people say we sing that over and over. How many times can you sing that is who you are? That is who you, that, that is who you are. We didn't used to sing like that. Well, back in the hymns back a long time ago, we got to the chorus. We sang it over and over and over too. It's just different. But we sing these things over and over. I'm getting off track again. We sing those things over and over to remind us. Because Jacob here is reminding God God doesn't need reminded. 
God is a faithful God. He's always faithful to his promise. He's always going to keep his promise. God doesn't need to be reminded of his promise, but Jacob needs to be reminded of God's promise. And we need to be reminded of God's promises. And that's why the Word and the Scriptures are so important that we spend time in them because we can't live out the promises of God if we don't know the promises of God. And we especially need the promises of God when it feels like He's not working. When we see God and it doesn't seem like He's working, we can't see that He's working, we don't feel like He's working because our lives are in brokenness, we're in pain, we're hurting from the circumstances we're in. And so all that we can see, we... Jacob is in pain, he's hurting, he's afraid, and he says, God, I'm re- that's who you are. This is who you are, God. You're the God of my father, my grandfather Abraham. You're the God of my father Isaac. You're my God. You've given me these promises. I just want to remind you, but really, he's reminded himself. He's reminded himself that God is going to be faithful, even when he doesn't feel like he's working, even when you can't see that he's working. And we all have moments in our life. Sometimes it feels like days. Sometimes it feels like weeks. Sometimes it feels like years. Think, where are you, God? Are you working? Are, are you there? I don't see you. That's where Jacob was. 20 years. The second thing he did, Jacob confessed his unworthiness, that God's kindness and mercy it was that unmerited and undeserved favor was all from God. Every, all those good blessings, those 20 years, it wasn't his hard work and it wasn't because of all that he did. It was because God blessed him. And the things that we have in our life, it's so easy. The, the American spirit, the American way is like pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, be independent, do it all by yourself. You're the one that got yourself there. And, and yes, I'm not, hard work, that, that is important. God wants us to work. He said you should work or you shouldn't eat. So, I mean, he wants us to work. There's that principle. But there's the other side of every good thing is from God. Our, our gifts, our abilities. One of the blessings of this week was uh, seeing the paper and seeing uh, Nabil's son Noah sitting right over there amongst his other brother and great friends. Um, but to see this young man that God has blessed, and I know you know this, Noah, but God has blessed you with 4-3 speed that he meant to give me, and he missed it somehow, and he gave it to you. <laughs> and, and, but what I love is I believe Noah knows that that gifts that God has given him, I, I believe he knows it's not his. He's just a steward of it, that it's God's. And because I love the quote in the paper, all the quotes that you saw in the great games, two great games in a row, I love the quote. He says, all glory to God. All glory to God. Friends, all of our successes, all of our blessings, everything good that's ever happened to us, our gifts, our abilities, all glory to God. It's meant to glorify him. And Jacob comes back to the place and, and says, God, all I have, all that I owe, it's because of you. And I confess that your kindness and mercy is unmerited and undeserved. I'm unworthy of it. Then he says, deliver me. Save me. Jacob seeks God's deliverance when he says, would you save me? Would you help me? Then he at, Jacob confesses his fear. God knows our hearts. He knows our minds. We can't hide from him. He knows if we're in here afraid today. He knows if there's anxiety within us. He knows if we're watching online and, 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 and he knows where we are. 
And, and so we might as well confess it to him. And Jacob says, hey, you know what? Uh, I, I'm praying, God, I'm afraid. I'm about to see a brother who's been one on the, uh, waiting to kill me because of how I treated him. Uh, I'm afraid. Would you help me? And then he finishes that prayer with reminding God of his promises again. Reminding that he's going to be faithful. And so really it looks like to me that Jacob really begins to trust God at this moment. And turn, begin to turn over that selfish leaf to God, I'm going to turn over this leaf to you and I'm going to begin to trust you. But Jacob, like many of us, had a backup plan. God, I trust you, but just in case, I got this, this, and this that I'm working on. And Jacob has a backup insurance plan, and we read about that in verse 13. He spent the night there, and from what he had with him, he selected a gift for his brother Esau, 200 female goats, 20 male goats, 200 ewes, and 20 rams, 30 female camels with their young, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. And I would say that just means he had millions and millions of dollars. He didn't lack for resources. God had blessed him abundantly. And he was at a place, he didn't care about his possessions anymore. He didn't care about his, he wanted a right relationship with, with God. He wanted a right relationship with his brother. He wanted, it, whatever it cost, whatever it took, he wanted those things to be reconciled in his life. Because he knew this, we can have all the money in the world, all the materials in the world. But if we're not in right relationships with God and one another, it's not all right. We need, that's the most important thing. So he, he put them in care of his servants. Each herd by itself and said to his servants, go ahead of me and keep some space between the herds. Because he had a three-part insurance plan. The first wave was this. He instructed the one in the lead, when my brother Esau meets you and asks, who do you belong to and where are you going and who owns all these animals in front of you? Then you are to say to him, they belong to your servant Jacob. Not your brother, not the one that has all his possessions and God's blessed me. Your servant. He's gone from selfish to servant. From serving himself to how can I serve others. They are a gift sent to me by my, by, to my Lord Esau, and he is coming behind us. Then the second wave. He also instructed the second, the third, and the other. So he had three waves. You're here to say the same thing to Esau when you meet with him. And be sure to say, your servant... Not your brother, but here I'm here to, I'm not here to be selfish anymore. I'm here to serve you. Brother, I want what's best for you now. I didn't want what's best for you back then, but I want to make things right with you. And I, I want your best. I want, your, I want you to have a great future as well. I'm for you now. I'm sorry I wasn't for you before. Your servant Jacob is coming behind us. For he thought, I will pacify him with these gifts. Now, there's still some selfishness there. There's still some, hey, if I do this, maybe he'll have mercy on me and my life will be spared. You remember the prodigal son's story? And the, the prodigal son came up with a story in his mind. I'll go back to my father and I'll say, I don't deserve to, you know, uh, and I'll be one of your hired hands. I don't, I'm not worthy to be your son. He planned this speech. I don't even know how sincere the speech was. But the father didn't care. All the father saw was the son's coming home and he, runs to, he runs to meet him. Friends, I think sometimes when we came to God and we came to Jesus, we didn't come all out of love completely for God. We came out of fear. <laughs> we just wanted to avoid hell. We didn't want to experience condemnation and judgment. But God didn't care. He wants a relationship with us. And if we would start even making steps towards him, 
the Father will come running to us. And so, for we thought, I will pacify him with these gifts. I'm sending on ahead. Later when I see him, perhaps he will receive me. So Jacob's gifts went on ahead of him. But he himself spent the night in the camp. And there began the sleepless night. Jacob found this to be true that we're going to see in just a moment that not only is it possible to wrestle with God, it's necessary. Jacob had a terrible night's sleep. You been there? Terrible night's sleep, stewing, turning, maybe you had one of those last night. But now, out of the kindness of God, he he meets him in a way that he's not expecting through a sleepless night. And in verse 22, that night Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants. He was trusting God, but he had this insurance plan. And his 11 sons, and he crossed the fort of Jabbok. After he sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. He didn't care about anything else that he had left. He just wanted a right relationship with his family, with his brother, with God. He sent all of his possessions, every bit of it. It didn't matter to him anymore. It it was worthless in the eyes of eternity. And so Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak, implying all night. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go until you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it's because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. Just an interesting side note, in our church's history, we haven't always been First Church of the Nazarene. We've had several names. One of those seasons of our church, for a long time, our church was the Peniel Church of the Nazarene. Uh, Peniel meaning face to face with God, meaning an, to have an encounter with God. This, this church was, in its DNA, wants people to have an encounter with God, wants to experience the presence of God. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not take the tendon attached to the socket of the hip because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. Is it possible to win with God? Is it possible to struggle with God and win? Friends, not only is it possible, but it's necessary. A man engaged we know now as God or a figure of God or an angel, but I, I think it was God himself. Uh, we know we can't see the, 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 Moses couldn't see the face of God, so I don't know how that all plays out. I'm smarter theologians than me. But he had this encounter with the living God. He engaged in a struggle. And my question for you today is, maybe you're here and you're watching online and you're going through some struggle. You're wrestling right now. Are you just trying to get through your struggle, get through the circumstances? Or could it be that God wants you to experience the blessing of struggling with him in order to get to the other side? In order to 
change you and transform you and make you like him, that maybe God's inviting you into a wrestling match to, to wrestle with him, to wrestle with these things that are going on instead of just trying to fix it and solve it because that's what guys like me like to do. We just like to fix it and solve it. But God might have something better for us that he might want us to experience an incredible flow of his presence. So Jacob chooses to engage in this challenge to wrestle with God. And I'll be honest with you, I was wrestling this week. Tuesdays are my day to prepare the message. I usually don't take calls. Uh, it's been said of me, touch me not Tuesdays. I'm not that special or whatever. But I just, I, I was struggling Tuesday. They call this thing called writer's block. I was having preacher's block. I knew the passage where I felt like the Lord had led me to, to preach on. But after an hour and a half, two hours of stewing, I had nothing. Zero. Nada. I didn't have anything. And I was beginning to feel the pressures and the stress of going to funerals and a wedding and other things this week. And I was thinking, God, I need a message for Sunday. I feel like you've given me this passage. Where are you? Show up. I need you. And about that time, I got a call. I usually don't answer the phone on Tuesdays, but it was a, a call of, uh, from Dan Broughton. He's our church planner on our district that helps us plant churches. And I said, Dan, how did you know? How do you know I have a preacher's block right now? He said, what? I said, how did you know I'm struggling? He goes, I didn't. I didn't call for your struggles. I called for a different reason. And I said, I know, and I'll, let's get to that. But let me just tell you, here's what I'm preaching on this week. Here, here's where I feel like the Lord has me. And I spent an hour and a half, two hours. I got nothing. I don't have anything. And he said, oh, I love that passage. Yeah, it's one of, it's one of my favorite stories too. He goes, it's one of my, my favorite passages. He goes, Kent, have you thought about this? Have you thought about how you and I, the longer that we've walked with God, the more we've wrestled with God, the more struggles we have with God that maybe we didn't have when we were newer in our faith? Does it feel like we have more struggles, not less, because God's now asking us to do uncomfortable things, things that were, are difficult at some times? Does it not seem like you struggle with God more now than you did earlier? I said, that totally makes sense. We began to talk about his struggles and my struggles. And I said, man, I've had struggles, you know, here in this church, example, making changes to some of the methods and the way that we do church. Not the message of the church, but the way that we do church to reach future generations. I said, I said I've struggled with knowing that some of those decisions people aren't going to like and people are going to leave. I've struggled with that. I said, Heather and I have struggled at times with, with at times when we feel like at moments we're going, God, why are why are you asking us to give more now? We don't have it now. But God's saying, I'll provide for you now. Like when our oldest was getting ready to go into college and we're going to Beyond Capital campaign. Terrible timing for us to have a Beyond Capital campaign. But God was faithful to us and he helped us and he went ahead of us. And we struggle with that. I, I've struggled like many of you. I've struggled with forgiving people. I've struggled with holding on to bitterness and resentment and not letting it go. But God wanted me to struggle with that, and he wanted me to come alongside, and he wanted to enter in that battle with me and say, hey, we're going to get this through this together, but I, I need you to engage in this. And, and I, you, I can't compromise. My, it, no matter how hard it is, Scripture says you have to forgive. No matter how hard it is, I want you to trust me. No matter how hard it is, I need you to engage, but I, I'm going to be in this with you together. Have you been there? You know what I'm talking about? Sure you do. Some of you are going through it right now. 
Some of you came in here today with some struggles and some things that you're wrestling with. Some of you watching online, you have some things you're struggling, you're wrestling with, struggling. Uh, maybe it's a marriage. Maybe it's struggling with forgiveness. Maybe it's struggling with something at work or job or insecurity. Maybe it's a struggle of going, God, I've been praying for five years for the same thing. You are not working. I don't see you working. I can't feel you working. Are you there? Where are you, God? When are you going to show up? And you come in here with the struggle today and, 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 and the fix-it side of us wants to say, God, just make everything go away and make everything right. But God has a better blessing for us. He wants us to enter in and engage in the struggle. He has more that He wants us to do. So what's He wants us to do? He wants us to do like Jacob. Jacob didn't cry uncle. Do you remember that game your mom played with you and your five-year-old or sister followed in her footsteps. I used to think it was child abuse until I had my own kids, and then it was fun. It's that thing where you put your kids down, you hold their arms down, and you tickle them until they say uncle. As soon as they say uncle, you'll stop. But there's this thing within you're like going, nope, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. And so you tickle, and it was fun with your own kids, but it's not fun to be on the recipient side of it. But Jacob wouldn't cry uncle. He... <laughs> I'm sure he felt like quitting. I'm sure he felt like giving up. I'm sure there's times where you feel like quitting and giving up. But he refused to cry uncle and he waited and he fought and he struggled until he got the blessing. He wouldn't let go of God until he got the blessing. Someone needs to know today here this word. Don't let go of, your, uh, don't let go of God in, this, in your struggle. Just don't let go of God. Don't cry uncle. Don't quit. Let God work out and do something better in your life. It, it may not feel like he's working. It may not seem like he's working. But, but like any good coach, any good coach lets his teams go through the struggle, lets his players fight and battle and run sprints and push to their limits. And sometimes you're throwing up and sometimes you don't think you can go any farther. But a good coach does that because he wants you to be your best. He wants to, you to, to, to be even better and stronger, not weaker. He wants your best. God wants our best. And Jacob wouldn't quit, and he, he went until it hurt. And it made me think of something else Dan said. He said, you know, the most effective Christians I know, the most effective Christians I know are not the ones walking in comfort. They're the ones that have learned to walk with a limp. They've learned to walk in the struggle. They've learned to go to the point that maybe God, whatever you want to do with me, even, even if you have to touch something, even if I have to go through pain and suffering, you know, the disciples, they relished in the fact. I don't think many of us do this. I mean, I know, I know it's not my first prayer, but when the disciples were persecuted in the early church, they came back and they were like, I was persecuted. I was beaten. I was, I was the rods and stones were thrown at me because of the name of Jesus. He considered me worthy to suffer for his name. We don't like to suffer. We like comfort, but it's not always God's best for us. God doesn't want to do it to hurt us. He wants our best for us. Friend, if you want a thriving relationship with God, and I believe that God doesn't want you just to survive, but he wants you to thrive. I'm not talking about finances or material blessings or the position or the whatever it is, but he wants to engage so you'll have 
that penile experience, that encounter, that face-to-face meeting with God. He wants to change you. Quit trying to pray in your struggle that God would change your circumstances. I'm not saying don't pray that at all. I mean, I pray for that. Deliver me, God, save me. Jacob prayed that. But we might be praying, God, save me, God, deliver me. And God's saying, I'm going to let you go through the struggle because it's better for you and you're going to come out stronger and you're come out better on the other side. Like the Apostle Paul, who prayed three times, God, would you, would you deliver me from this thorn in my side? The scripture doesn't say what that thorn was, but three times he prayed, God, would you, would you take this thorn away? Would you, would you release me of this? Would you, would you fix this? And God said, no, 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 because I got something better for you. I got something that's going to make you more like me and it's going to glorify me and it's going to make you the best that you possibly could be. I'm not going to take it away from you, but here's the promise I'm going to give you, that when you're weak, that's where I'm going to be strong. That in your weakness, that's when I'm at my best. And I can't be at my best if you don't embrace your weakness and trust and rely on me. I was, one game I missed in college, one game, and it wasn't the other team that hit me. It was my own dumb linebacker who missed the guy and hit my hip. Shouldn't call him dumb. He could be watching. I love Kenny. Kenny Keeler, love you out there, buddy. He hit me, caused me to miss the next game. So humbling because after they got me off to the side of the field, my dad came down, my father. He took me to the locker room, limping, walking shoulder to shoulder. My arm around him, it was humiliating because when we got to the locker room, I couldn't bend over, I couldn't laugh, I couldn't cough for a week without it just sending pains up and through my body. And my dad undressed me. He helped me shower. And when we got out, he put clothes on me. We limped out of that locker room together. And it reminds me of the picture, and I'm not crying because what my dad did for me, I'm crying because of what our Heavenly Father's done for us. That He takes our humiliation, He takes our brokenness, He takes every pain that we've ever had or will experience. And He says, hey, I can't fix this right now, but what, what I want to do for you is I want you to be utterly dependent on your Father utterly dependent to walk out these doors with me. No longer by yourself. And I'll clothe you. I'll put clean clothes back on you. I'll I'll shower you up and I'll make you clean. But you're meant now to walk with a limp. As followers of Jesus, I think we need to learn how to walk with a limp. How to walk with our brokenness. How to walk with our struggles. And quit trying to ask God to fix them all the time. Oh, keep asking to save me, deliver me. But in the midst of that, if God gives the answer, no, I got something better for you. Even though it doesn't look like you're working, even though you can't see me working, I've never stopped working and I'm going to take you along the way. We didn't do this in the first service. I apologize, but I want to take a little time and I'm going to, it's the worship team here. Can I pull them back up, huh? Enough to sing, even if, You're not working. We didn't always plan things out. Would you stand with us this morning? And if it's even played lightly, that's okay. It doesn't have to be the ramped up version. But I want us to pull those words, that song back up of 
even when it doesn't seem like you're working. You never stop working. You, you never stop in our lives. And some of us, like Dust, Pastor Dustin said earlier, some of us, we need to claim that by faith right now. It's not a feeling you have. It's not how you feel, but by faith, you're going to trust God. You, you may walk out of here with a limp, but you're going to walk out of here utterly dependent on your heavenly Father, that, that He's with you, that is, He promises to never leave you nor forsake you. Maybe just turn the house lights down low and I'm going to pray and then, I don't know, I didn't plan this, but if you need to pray today, if you need to bend your knee at your couch today, there's nothing special about those things, but there's just something about humbling ourselves and saying, God, I need you. I don't know what your stuff is, your things are, your struggles are, but by kneeling at your seat or by kneeling at these altars, you're just saying, God, I want to walk out of here I may walk out of here with a limp, but I'm walking out here utterly and dependent upon you for whatever my situation is. So would you put the house lights down, please, and let me pray. Father, I didn't plan this this morning. I don't know who you're talking to. I don't know if it's one. I don't know if it's many. Maybe I'm missing the boat altogether, but Lord, Would you give us the courage to humble ourselves, to embrace the struggle that we're in, whatever it may be? Maybe it's to enter into that relationship with you. Maybe it's to, maybe it's to humble ourselves and say that we've been trying on our own. Maybe it's to bring our brokenness of a loss, of, of our suffering, our pain, and we're not going to leave here, and it's, it's still going to be with us. But we're going to be reminded that limp, that limp means we're just utterly dependent upon you.